0: Okay, so we have been in this Advent series, okay? Now, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means Coming or um, arrival, and and so uh, Christians throughout uh, the world will take the four Sundays before Christmas Day and and really focus on and celebrate uh, the the birth of Jesus, but also it's twofold. Uh, we're we're to remember and uh, get ready for the second coming because Jesus not only came uh, to Earth as that little baby, but after he resurrected. He said, I'm coming back. And so we're anticipating that return as well. So as we've gone through these teachings in this series, it's not only this um, reflection and excitement over the birth of Jesus, but also it's the reminder and encouragement uh, that he's coming back for us. And so we started the first Sunday uh, talking about the promise, right? The promise, uh, the the, the promise of this Messiah, of a Savior, because um, everything was wrong, right? Uh, Like sin had fractured everything. Okay, so, so sin uh, takes place in the garden of Eden there and nothing after that is the same. And so uh, humanity was sentenced at that point, right? That Like a death sentence we see in scripture, the wages of sin is, is death. And so we needed a savior. And so scripture uh, all throughout the Old Testament was pointing people and directing them towards this coming Messiah, the savior who would make everything right. Okay, so, so we talked about the hope in that. Uh, now, the next thing we talked about was the preparation for the Savior. What does it look like to prepare ourselves for his arrival? What does it look like to live with anticipation? What are the things in my life that, that I need to deal with knowing that this is, that this is true? And then last week, Kyle uh, and thank you, Kyle, for teaching for me last week. Kyle talked about shalom, the peace uh, that that Jesus brings. Jesus is the perfect prince of peace. And so today what we're gonna talk about is praise. We're gonna talk about adoration. We're gonna talk about worship today. But before we do that, I, I wanna lay uh, a foundation for us. And I feel like this is really important uh, today for, uh, for us to unpack um, because... For many of us, maybe maybe you're brand new to faith. Maybe you're exploring. Uh, you have a lot of questions. You don't, uh, you don't understand your Bible. Someone gave you one and they're like, oh, you should just read it and know. And you're like, I am so confused. I don't know what this is all about. So maybe you're in that camp. Maybe this morning you're a skeptic, right? You're just naturally skeptical. In fact, how many of you are just naturally skeptical? Like, you're like, I'm not going to do that. No, you know, um, and I'm naturally skeptical. Like I'm a skeptical person, and I know that walking through what we're about to walk through was very helpful for me in understanding why I believe what I believe. Okay, so so we're going to walk through uh, that. And so as we lay this foundation, what we first need to understand is it's very clear from Scripture that Jesus came to fulfill and accomplish. A specific task okay so, so it wasn't random, like Jesus coming to earth. okay in fact, the Bible tells us hundreds of years before he arrived uh, who he'd be and what he would do. okay um, And so what we need to know right now is this if if Jesus is, is truly the Messiah then he has to fulfill everything the Bible said that he would do and be, right? If he truly is the Messiah. Because scripture over and over again tells us what he's gonna be like, who he's gonna be. And so if Jesus comes on the scene and doesn't align with that or fulfill all of it, then he's not the Messiah. And then we gotta ask, what are we doing? right and, and and so let's 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 look at this let's look at what Jesus actually did so there are anywhere conservatively uh between 300 uh messianic prophecies that's on the conservative end to some uh upwards of 500 all right prophecies in the old testament about who uh the messiah would be and there there are prophecies concerning his death his uh, his, his birth, his, his life, his burial, uh, and, and resurrection, okay? And so what I want to do right now, and, and listen, your mind is going to be expanded, and that's okay. I'm, I'm going to have them put an image on the screen, okay? And, and this image on the screen, and if you're a note taker, just, just stop, <laughs> okay? Just stop, do a couple deep breaths, God is still on the throne, and we have this, okay? This lives online. If you're watching online, you have this, okay? So so don't freak out, just relax. Now, what we have here, and and listen, this is so far from complete, okay? Like this is just a, a, a fragment of prophecies that were prophesied in the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the New Testament. But this is so helpful for us. It's so helpful for us to to see, to understand, and know how Jesus fulfilled all of these things. And there's no prophecy that's on here that is is under 500 years um, from the time it was prophesied to Jesus's arrival, okay? Um, How many of you know what was going on 500 years ago? yeah you don't okay uh, and, and and so you just got to understand the magnitude and how powerful this is and and how this confirms who Jesus claimed to be okay and so so let's just look at a few of them all right, so we have uh the, that what the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, one of the twelve tribes in genesis forty nine uh this is this is written right and then and and then we also see in relation to that. Uh, that he would be a descendant of King David. That was prophesied about in Jeremiah 23, 5 and also in Psalm one, thirty-two, eleven. Now, for some of you, you have opened your Bibles to the New Testament because someone s- shared their faith with you and they said, listen, don't look at the old, just open the new. And so you did what they said and you turned to Matthew chapter 1. And you started reading Matthew chapter one and you just went, what in the world? Because it's a genealogy, right? Uh, It's the genealogy of Christ. Now, why is it important? What Matthew is doing is he's playing his hand. He's literally telling you, I want all of you to know as you read this book, as you read this gospel, that I am right off the bat confirming that Jesus is the Messiah, that's why we have the genealogy uh, there. We see in, um, in Micah chapter five, verse two, it says that the one true Messiah was, was to be born in Bethlehem. Huh, that sounds interesting. I think I've heard that before. Uh, in Matthew chapter two, and Luke chapter two, we see in Isaiah seven fourteen, it says that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Well, Jesus was born of a virgin, we read in Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter two. We see a prophecy that the Messiah would, would heal the sick, right? Uh, in, in Isaiah 35, and, and we know that throughout Jesus's ministry, he was healing uh, the sick. The Messiah would speak in parables, Psalm 78 tells us. Well, throughout Jesus's life, we see him speaking through parables. It says uh, in Zechariah 9.9 9, that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, well, the, the Sunday before Easter, what do we celebrate? The triumphal entry, don't we? And, and, and was Jesus riding in on, on this chariot? No. We read he was on a donkey. The Messiah would be betrayed uh, for 30 pieces of silver. We read in uh, Zechariah 11. And, and we know that Judas betrayed Jesus and was paid off with 30 pieces of silver. It also prophesied uh, in in Zechariah 11 how he would use the money, how that money would be used to purchase a potter's field. And we see that also coming to fruition. Isaiah 53 says that the Messiah would be despised and rejected by men. Jesus was despised, rejected, and ultimately he was crucified. We're, We're told in Psalm 22 that the Messiah would die in a brutal way, his hands and his feet pierced. Jesus was nailed to a cross, his hands and his feet. There's a prophecy that they would divide his clothes among them and cast lots for his garments. And we know from Matthew 27, that's what the Roman soldiers were doing as Jesus was hanging on the cross. We see in Psalm 34, 20, that his bones would not be broken. And this is so incredible because the Roman soldiers literally went to all three of the individuals hanging on the cross. They broke uh, both uh, guys next to Jesus. They broke their bones. They came to Jesus and they said, he's already dead. We're not breaking his bones. And so prophecy once again, fulfilled. He would be flogged, Isaiah 53, uh, 5. We read and we know in Matthew 27, Jesus was flogged and he suffered, right? Isaiah 53, the Messiah would atone for the sins of man. And in Romans 3, 24 and 25, we know that. And you guys, there are prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that Jesus confirms. Now, what's the probability of him doing all of that, right? Uh, Well, a mathematician did the math and figured out that the probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled is one chance in 100 million billion. Just eight of them. So, and and he actually calculated that if you took that number and 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 made it silver dollars, uh, that that it would cover the state uh, of Texas to a depth of two feet. And if you marked one of those silver dollars um, and then blindfolded somebody and had them wander around the state of Texas, it's a big state, if you haven't been there, you should visit, and, and, and have them bend down and randomly pick one coin, what would be the odds that they would choose that one coin that was marked? It's the same odds that anybody in history could have fulfilled just eight of these prophecies. Okay, uh, Lee Strobel puts it this way. He says, imagine the entire world being covered with, with white tile that, that's an inch and a half square and every bit of dry land on the planet is Covered, And one of those tiles, they painted red underneath it. And then picture this person being allowed to wander for a lifetime around all of these continents and, and they're permitted to bend down one time only and pick up one of those tiles. And, 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 and the question, what are the odds that it would be the one tile whose reverse side was painted red and it would be the exact odds of anyone fulfilling eight of these prophecies? right? It's insane. It's crazy. In fact, a mathematician, Peter Stoner, he computed that the probability of fulfilling 48 of these prophecies was one chance, get ready for this number, was one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. It's not a typo. Okay, so we're just like, what? How? This is remarkable. This is crazy, right? And, and, and so our human minds can't go there. And yet this is what we read in, in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. This is what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass uh, from the law until all is accomplished. And then and then he says, after he's resurrected in Luke 24, 44 through 45, and at this point, they're all like amazed, he's back. This is crazy. And he says this to them. He says, "Uh, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay, so Jesus is saying, if I'm truly the Messiah, all of this has to be fulfilled. It has to be fulfilled. And, and, and I'm not going to go away until it is. And so what he's saying is, I am the fulfillment of all of these things. And then he opens up their minds to understand scripture, to see how he's the fulfillment of all of it. And the people, as a response, they believed in him. They believed. And so, so what does this mean for us? Well, Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament. This all, all of this, it doesn't point to something you and I could do or any like good person. It points to an almighty, all-powerful God because the only way that this is possible, right? The only way all those verses, all these prophecies are possible is, is, is through God, Okay, like, like people tell me, well, I think Jesus was a great person um, and, and did all these great things. I believe his teachings uh, and that, and, and I really think the way he loves—it's a great model for us uh, today. Uh, but he's not—he's not a Messiah. He's not God. And uh, and he, you know, and obviously, if he knew that, hey, you're supposed to speak in parables, he could easily do that, you know. And if he's supposed to enter Jerusalem in a donkey, he could go find a donkey. I'm like, hmm. How, how do you orchestrate your birth? But how do you do that? I don't know. How do you how do you orchestrate your death and then post-death? Like, 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 did he pull Judas aside? Hey man, I know what's really going on with you. Okay? So you're gonna betray me. Make sure when you betray me that when they offer you an amount of money, you only say 30, 30, not 32, not 35. It's got to be 30. And then here's what needs to happen with that money afterwards. And also let's make sure that the Roman soldiers, uh, they, they can break their bones. They don't touch mine. So make sure you communicate that to them. Um, and and, and make sure that they do these specific things, okay? Because they're Roman soldiers. I want to make sure this all lines up to what's said. That's insane, right? And then he calls his own resurrection. Well, how'd he pull that off? Okay, And, 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 and so we see all of these things point to God. It points us to God. This was huge for me as a skeptic, as someone wanting to prove that this was my parents' religion. And and this was huge for me to understand and realize this. I was confronted with something I didn't know how to explain or respond to other than going, there's a God. And then in John chapter one, verses one through three, this is what it says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And and then Colossians goes a step further uh, in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It says, uh, for by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, so why is that important? Well, what you need to see is this he's pre existent, and he's present even in creation. Okay, so he's there, he's a part of creation. Um, and, and, and so we need to understand and know that Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. Okay, so Jesus wasn't an afterthought. He wasn't this unforeseen reaction, right? Like, oh my goodness, look at humanity. Boy, they're a wreck. They're a mess. Man, what are we gonna do, Trinity? Jesus, short straw, you go. You're our last ditch effort, right? No, that's not not what happened. What we see is Jesus was the plan from the beginning. The cross was in play from the start. Galatians 4.4, it says what? When the fullness of time had come, Jesus came, right? The son was sent. The fullness of time, okay, timing. In, in Acts 2, 22 through 24, we see Peter as he's preaching to these people, uh, he tells them, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Okay, Jesus was the plan from the beginning. Everything was thought out. It was all planned out. Every story, every book in the Bible points to Jesus. He's the hero of the text. He's the hero. okay? And, and, and so um, every time in Scripture, you see people getting caught up in all these things, whether it's the laws, uh, whether it's just religion as a whole. And, and Jesus reminds them. In fact, in John five thirty nine uh, he addresses these religious leaders, and look at what he says. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. So you're looking for salvation in the text. Salvation is through me. Scripture speaks of me. And so as Jesus is going on through his ministry, he is fulfilling, fulfilling. Fulfilling prophecy after prophecy. And, he, and he's teaching people. He's walking them through uh, the, the the text in the Old Testament, that, that point to him being the fulfillment. Uh, in fact, after he resurrected um, and word's starting to spread that, that, that these ladies saw Jesus and his tomb is empty, there's a couple uh, disciples and they're on this road uh, to uh, Emmaus, we read in Luke 24. And, and, and their minds are just like, they're, they're a wreck. They, they've just gone through uh, losing Jesus, the, their teacher and that. And then, they're, and then they've just heard rumors that his tomb is empty and he might be alive. And, and they're just working through this and they're processing it as they're on this journey. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus appears and starts walking with them. And as he's walking with them, they don't know it's Jesus. We don't know why, but, but, but Jesus is, is walking with them. And, and he literally walks up and says, hey, like, you know, he hears what they're talking about. And he goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they look at him and they're like, Did you come out of a cave? Like, do you not know what's happened in Jerusalem? Jerusalem's a, a, a mess right now. Do you know why? How do you not know? It's kind of like when I'm on college campus and the students look at me and they're like, how do you not know that? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm sorry, okay, like I'll figure it out. But anyway, they're, they're literally saying like, how, how, do you, how do you not know what's happened? And then Jesus is like, wait a second, what is the Messiah supposed to suffer? Supposed to go through that? And then we read in Luke 24, 27, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They literally took the best Old Testament survey course you could take on the planet, right? Jesus breaks down where he's at all throughout scripture, pointing to him. And it says later on, as they finally realize that it was Jesus walking with them, they're talking and they're like, man, my heart was burning in my chest as he unpacked scripture to us. And so what we have to ask is this this morning. what? Our response when we finally understand who Jesus is? What is our response? When we, when we finally understand and realize that, that he's the fulfillment of everything, that he's the Savior, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him, that, that he is this ultimate uh, fulfillment, uh, that he is the Savior. Like, what, what is my response? What is that proper response that I'm uh, to have when I'm confronted with that truth. And, and when you look uh, at scripture, you see uh, all these responses, but they're very consistent. And I want to go to Mary here in Luke chapter one, because uh, Mary uh, has her own response. And, and, and her first response, uh, when she's told about what's going to happen, isn't like, well, of course, well, that makes sense. I mean, look at me. No, this is like uh, the equivalent of like a ninth grade girl uh, who is engaged, who's just been told, hey, so you're going to have a baby. And it's not his. It's God's. So go tell him that. Probably illiterate, like not, not the side of the tracks that the, that the Messiah was supposed to come from, right? Not the way to do it in our minds, in our eyes, right? Right? But, but, but Mary's, Mary's the one that's chosen and, 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 and she's processing, she's, she's overwhelmed by this. And there's also a cousin of hers at the same time who's having this miraculous uh, uh, birth as well and, and giving birth her cousin, Elizabeth, who uh, is six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Mary shows up to go visit her, it says the baby in the womb of Elizabeth, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit and just started leaping man, that had to hurt. I mean, I don't know, but that had to hurt. And so Mary is in this moment and it's just flooding her. The excitement, the joy, the reality, it's true. It's happening. God is so good. And she goes into what we call Mary's song. And this is what she says in Luke chapter one, verse 46, it says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You guys, as she's singing this out and declaring it to the Lord, this is just, this is just un, um, unadulterated, just praise, right? It, it's just pure. It's just this response uh, that, that can't be contained to the reality of how good God is and the fact that she is so... So undeserved of this she doesn't fit what everyone thinks the messiah should come from she doesn't fit that and so you just see that this like god I, I can't believe that you would you would be gracious that you would that you would see the humble that you would see the lowly and acknowledge that and and, and she goes into that just celebration and praise to god and we go man well what's my response supposed to be it's praise that's the natural response. You guys, when you look throughout the Christmas story, that's, that's, we see it over and over again, right? The, the angels who have their own just crazy supernatural experience, not the angels, they're always having that, but the shepherds who are out in their fields, right? And, and, and shepherds, uh, they're there, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord's shown around them, right? You and I are like, what was that like? Well, they were afraid. And then angels come and, and, and say, like born this day in the city of David is the savior, right? Go see him. And they run, it says, with haste, and they make their way to the manger, and they go to Jesus. And 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 as they are leaving, this is what it says in Luke 2 20. It says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Man, the response is worship, isn't it? That's the response. It's adoration. It's praise, it's love. Uh, Guys, that's the natural response when you're confronted with who Jesus is. He's the savior, king, and Lord who before the beginning of the world had you in mind. And, and and I love this because you just like you see Mary break out of this, you, you see over and over again scripture where people just break out of this and it wasn't like forced, it wasn't it wasn't manipulated, it was just this natural response. And what I love about that is it brings me back to like creation right because because in in creation you see what you you see it you see how it should be right and 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 you see uh mankind and and god like in, in communion in in conversation and and you just see this this worship as it was designed to be you guys we were created by design to glorify god to make much of him and 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 that's what worship is it's, it's literally giving worth to God. It's praising Him. It's declaring, uh, the truth of who He is, uh, back to Him. It's, it's giving of ourselves to Him, right? It's always sacrificial. And, and we're called to do this as Jesus followers, right? We're called to do this not, not once a week during the beginning set and the closing set, and that's it, uh, right? Like, like, no, we're called to do this every day. Every moment, we're to wake up in worship. Uh, Hebrews, um, Hebrews 13, 15, uh, it, it says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And, and then Philippians 4, 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord Always and again I will say rejoice okay so so this is a daily this is everything and when we're right with God and we're worshiping him you guys that's when we're actually operating that original design which is incredible so worship is the ultimate posture. Of pursuing and exalting Jesus, why? Because it's that that picture. Because before Jesus, whether we acknowledged it, whether we knew it or not, we were living our lives against Him, uh, in, in in rebellion of His will, uh, of His way. Right. So so we were against Him, running from Him, and and worship is the opposite, right? Worship is the response to getting right with God. Worship is the response of elevating God and saying, "You are above and before everything else in my life." And worship also coincides with repentance. And that's not a message you're gonna hear in a lot of places anymore. In Romans 12:1, it says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, man, the reason we don't hear this, the reason we don't like that, the reason we don't quote that verse enough, we like the one after it, but is we've disconnected worshiping God with getting right with God. We've disconnected it. You guys, worship is the response of getting right with God. Okay, it flows out of that. See, see, uh, Hey, we don 't we, we don 't want to hear that right we, we want to ignore that we want to come in and, and do our our praise thing our worship thing we want to feel right uh, we want everything to sound right uh, and, and we just want to play that, that hand, right? Everything's fine. Everything's good. And, and I'm just here. I'm just worshiping. Don't mess with me. I love God. So everything's right. Everything's good. Uh, and yet, no, like, like, like there's, there's a rightness with God that he calls us to. There is a, a posture of worship that he's calling me to. And there's a posture of worship that he says, stay away from. In fact, even in the Old Testament, the Lord says, the, abomin- like, the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination. I don't want them. Right? So, so, so often we never talk about this and we're like, oh, you just come in and just worship and everything's great. And you're going to feel this way and all that. But, but no, he calls us to something greater, to something uh, better because so often anymore, I don't know about you, uh, but, but worship can be so emotionally driven and it can be so about look and feel and what we're going for and trying to accomplish. And, and honestly, it can just start to feel shallow. It can feel disingenuine. It can, it can feel in certain settings, it can almost feel like i'm being manipulated right now but we see in scripture that we're called to worship it says in spirit and in truth spirit and in truth that's how we're to worship john 4 23 through 24 it says but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit, in truth. So we can't separate it. It, I always laugh, I don't laugh out loud, but I laugh in my mind when when people talk to me about the right posture of worship. Um, Now, a little background for me. I grew up up in a very um, musically conservative church. Okay, so, so the church I grew up in, my experience was, um, you know, you all stand, you have a hymnal, and the person leading says what page number. We all turn there. They said, okay, we're gonna do one, two, and four. And that's what we did. And we sang that. And, and, and there was a piano. If we were getting really crazy, sometimes, um, you know, you could have an organ. Ooh, those Sundays were exciting. And don't you dare have a guitar. And if you have drums, get out, right? And, and so that was kind of, that was the environment I grew up in. And, and I remember, man, if you were starting to feel the hymn or something, you know, like, like some people were brave because nobody put your hands up. And, and so some people would be brave and go, You know, like like they were a penguin or something, right? And and, and, and they're like, you know, they didn't want to stand out, you know. And every once in a while, there'd be someone brand new to church. They'd come in and just boosh. And we'd all go, ooh. I remember turning to my brother and being like, man, I wonder how long they're going to last. Read the room, right? You know, and, 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 and so that was the environment that, that I grew up in when it came to like worship or the praise time, right? Now, some of you come from a totally different environment, right? Totally different. The teaching was like 30 minutes. Worship was like an hour and a half, okay? And it would get crazy. People dancing, flags are running, uh, people doing the worm in the front. I mean, you've seen it all right? So, so we all have these different backgrounds. We all have our way of doing it, right? Of what looks right, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. We all have this mindset. But I'm just going to tell you right now, when you look at the posture uh, of, of worship um, in, 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 in Scripture, you will be surprised, You'll be surprised because you'll see people responding to the truth and the reality of who God is for the first time. You'll see them responding like some of them beating their chest, just just crying out, "Woe is me! I am undone." You you, you see responses that that honestly they're they're a little ugly, right? They're not like 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 sometimes we just imagine in the Bible they're just like no like 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 I look at David and David is in in the the most awkward position you can imagine. He's lying down, his face is down, but somehow he's contorted his body to where his arms are up. He's worshiping. He's weeping. He's pouring out to God in this posture. I mean, just imagine if I said, hey, during the closing set, we're gonna do something different. I want you to move the chairs out of the way. We're going to lay down on our faces and put our hands up. You guys would leave. A lot of you would never come back. But you see these moments that people have with God and and, and and you see them, you see the brokenness there. You see varying responses. Why? Because here's what worship does. Worship confronts us. It confronts us, doesn't it? It challenges us to consider as we exalt and praise and lift him up, is there anything or anybody that's actually in the way? or someone in that seat. And so worship like nothing else, because there you are, you're singing these songs to God and, and you're reading these words and and and, and 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 man, it is like gut check time, isn't it? Like a lot of times, man, I, I get in here and, and we're singing or or I'll have my own time of just, you know, I'll be praying to God or listening to music. And all of a sudden I'm being confronted with what I don't want to see. I'm being confronted with some things that have taken the seat that he's supposed to have. And I'm being challenged in what I'm actually praising. And and that's what we see. And and that's how it's going to be when it's how God designed it to be. Why? Because it's to be spirit-led and it's to be truth-led, isn't it? That's who he's looking for. And so if it's spirit-led and truth-led and I'm worshiping him in that posture, you guys, he is going to reveal whatever is in my life that doesn't align with truth or the spirit of God. You guys, that's why we see such varying responses in worship throughout scripture we see varying responses even in this room on sundays okay like and that's what i love about our church is it's you know some it's non-denominational so many people come from different backgrounds it's just this melting pot and uh, and, and 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 you'll just see a, a variation a difference in how People respond uh, to God. And and, and so when we see how historically people would respond in those moments, we see all these different outcomes, don't we? We see Paul and Silas, they go into singing. They're singing in a prison, right? We see see in Luke chapter seven, we see this, uh, this, this lady approach Jesus. Jesus is at this up, you know, high-end dinner with these Pharisees, uh, and, 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 and Jesus is sitting there, and all of a sudden, this woman just walks up, uh, get, gets down on her knees behind him, and she is weeping. She's weeping. And as she's weeping, her tears aren't just like, she's not dropping some tears. Like, she's weeping to such a, a point where she starts washing Jesus's feet with her tears, And with her hair, she's cleaning his feet. She's got this vial of perfume. She's just dumping it out on Jesus's feet. And and I can't think of a more pure scene of worship. And there she is just just laying it all out there before him. And and, and guys, this this was like, like people are watching this and they're like, what's going on? In fact, one of the Pharisees there, he goes, man, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know that she's so unworthy. He would know her mess. He would know her garbage and he wouldn't allow her to touch his feet. And I love it because Jesus actually stops, addresses the guy, and he says, hey, I want to tell you a quick little story, okay? So this wealthy guy, uh, you know, he's got two people that owe him money. One owes him 50, one owes him 500, and he forgave them both. Who do you think loved him more? The Pharisees like, well, duh, the guy 500. And Jesus is like, exactly. That's the beauty of worship, isn't it? How you can be confronted, and yet it draws you in. And, 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 and your past doesn't disqualify you. Your struggle doesn't disqualify you. It, it, it actually causes you to even more so reach out to Jesus. It causes you even more so to, to, to be amazed at the grace and love and the forgiveness. And so what is the byproduct? You just elevate him even more into his rightful place. You see uh, the widow in Mark chapter 12, uh, as as Jesus and his disciples are sitting there and she walks by and she just gives all that she has into this offering. And Jesus goes, do you see that? She just gave more than anybody else. You see that, do you see that posture? We think of Abraham, his act of worship, being willing to sacrifice his own son worship. You see Jesus being willing to, at the end, uh, submit his own will to the will of the Father and go to the cross for you and I. That was worship. And so there's going to be moments, you guys, where you're going to be confronted. We're going to feel that. And and, and I want to challenge you in those moments to, to take that and turn it to praise into God, because when you're confronted with that, it's actually a blessing. It's a gift from God. But here's the thing, the less connected you are to Jesus, the less you pursue him, the more disconnected from worship you're gonna be. And that's when worship starts to become this thing that we do twice a day on Sundays during this set time or this thing that happens just when the time's right in my car and it better be a certain list of songs and it better be a certain style and it better have these emotions with it. Otherwise, I'm not doing it. And that's when we get it twisted and we think that worship is about me getting something when in reality, worship is about me giving something. Worship is me giving back to God, it's not receiving. You guys, here's here's the truth. We are all worshiping something. We are. It's not if. We're all worshiping something. My question is is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? What, what is the fulfillment right now? The longings that you have, the things that drive you. What, what's the fulfillment of that? And, and for some of us, it's this image in our mind. It, it's people that we don't even know whose lives we want. It's a story that, that we wanna have. It's a relationship that isn't ours. And, and we actually start to worship those things. We actually elevate those things. And yet they're not fulfilling even if we got them, are they? For some of you, you've lived that. You idolized something, you worshiped it, you got it. And then you realize, man, that was actually kind of empty. And so here we are idolizing, worshiping all these things other than Jesus. And yet at no other time have we been more miserable as a culture. It's funny. I was listening to a sermon preached in 2019. And the pastor of this sermon is telling them how awful the world is in 2019 and he's like, it's never been this bad and divisive and people are angry and the violent crime. I like, like this is unprecedented. And I'm like, bro, you don't know what's coming. But I look back at 2019 and I go, ha, oh, right? It's like, you know, and, and 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 so it's only gotten worse, right? And here we are yet still looking for that, worshiping that. It's like we're on this, treadmill, but we're believing just around the corner. You guys, Jesus is the fulfillment. The promises of God find their yes in him. Before the foundation of the world, he had you in mind and Jesus came and made a way for you to have a relationship with a perfect and holy God. He washed away your sins by coming, by going to the cross for you and for me. He fixed what was fractured so that you could experience a new birth, a new purpose by receiving him as your Lord and Savior, a new hope, a new reality to where now every day you know that this is not the end for you. There is eternal life awaiting you. And guess what? The best part of eternal life isn't that there's just like a heaven. No, you guys, if there's a heaven and no Jesus in heaven, it's not heaven. It's that you get to go and be with Jesus for all of eternity. And so that's, we get to live with that every day. And so praise should never be far from our mouths, from our lips, from, our, from, from the posture of, uh, of how we're living and operating. It should always be right there because before the foundation of the world, he had you in mind. In all of your nastiness, all of your mistakes, all your failures, and all of your struggles, he had you in mind. And so we have the opportunity to just praise him right now. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have that opportunity to receive that free gift that Jesus brought. So I wanna read this verse and then we're gonna go right into worship. It says in Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe.